Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 62. It's titled, Collapsing Bees, Bubbles, and Income Inequality. Back in 2007, just before the Great Recession and the near collapse of the financial system, there was a different type of collapse that had farmers and food suppliers really, really worried and really, really perplexed. Honeybee colonies were collapsing. And it wasn't just that they were collapsing with with bees on the ground. The hives were abandoned and the bees went completely missing. It was as mystery as deep as the merchant ship Mary Celeste, which I hadn't heard of. Back in 1872, there was this vessel, sailing vessel, that landed in the Azores Islands. Is that how you pronounce it? Azores? Azores? I've not been there. It landed there on the beach, completely seaworthy, but with the crew missing. No captain, no crew, no lifeboat. They could never figure out what happened to them. The same thing was happening to beehives. They'd see these beehives and they would be completely empty. And I remember in 2007, this this hitting the news, it was all over. And every news story had this ominous warning that one out of every three bites of food was dependent on the honeybee. And I thought of we were going to have massive failure, crop failure, perhaps starvation. And then the financial crisis hit. I got involved in my business and, and pacifying clients and, and, and trying to figure out how to, to make our way and navigate the financial markets. And I forgot all about the bees. I hadn't really thought about it. I, I did notice there was still food at the grocery store, copious amounts of nuts berries, vegetables, and other fruits. And last week, we were at a dinner party, and my neighbor mentioned that he had a new beehive, that there was a swarm of bees that had come around his house, and he essentially knocked them from the branch into a box and and created this beehive, and then, and then had one... A little later. So now he has three beehives because we had other bees swarming around his neighbor's house. I thought that was interesting. It reminded me of the fact that our bees still collapsing. So I did an internet search and came across a tweet actually that, that came across my stream. And it was about that bee, it essentially, the tweet said bees were literally worrying themselves to death. And the tweet linked to a pretty insightful article by David Wallace Wells. It's published in the New York Magazine titled The Blight of the Honeybee. And he talked about this whole history of 
colony collapse with the honeybees and what scientists are thinking, linked to a couple of uh, scientific articles. I'll link to this and, and those articles in the show notes. Well, apparently honeybees are still suffering massive die-offs. According to the Bee Informed Partnership and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, beekeepers lost 42% of their colonies in the past year. In the year before that, they lost 34%. In the year before that, 46%. Now, you, you and me both know if you're losing that percent of your bee colonies or your money, you're going to be bankrupt within a few years unless there's a way to replenish it. And that turns out to be the case. Queen bees are remarkably prolific. They can produce enough bees in a single year to create a brand new colony. In fact, many bees, worker bees, some drones, only live a few weeks. So the queen is, is, who survives, she survives and creates all these bees. And so, yeah, there's been dramatic and horrendous percentage losses in beehives, but the beekeepers are creating new hives just as fast as the old ones are dying. And that's why we still have food supply in the grocery store. But the question remains, why are the bees dying? So scientists have been working on it. And one of the first things I learned is it's not really the wild bees that are collapsing. It's, it's the managed bees, the industrial bees. In fact, most managed, when I say managed bees, I'm talking about hives that are loaded on trucks and carted from field to field, county to county, and state to state to pollinate the produce. These are definitely worker bees. Trucker bees is what, how David Wallace Wells put it bust from field to field, and it's these managed bees that are dying off. And so these managed beekeepers, a lot of these family beekeepers are having to figure out, you know, what is it about? And as scientists have worked on it, there's a couple of things that they have found. One article was published this year in Science Magazine. It's called Bee Declines Driven by Combined Stress from Parasites, Pesticides, and Lack of Flowers. It's written by Dave Golson, Elizabeth Nichols, Christina Botias, and Ellen Rotheray. And what they found was it was multiple stressors that were impacting the bees. If you travel for a living, you know travel can be really, really stressful. You're cooped up in airplanes. You've got all those germs and, and other pathogens floating around. And bees are face the same thing as they're traveling from place to place, cooped up. Well, I don't know the extent bees get cooped up in a hive, but certainly they're moving on these truck beds and they're, they're taken to the almond fields. And for three weeks, they'll binge on almond nectar and almond blossoms. And then they'll be taken to cherry fields and then alfalfa fields or blueberries. And, and they go and they're sort of these migrant worker bees. And they have chronic exposure to various pesticides. And so what scientists believe, it's a combination of all these stressors. It's, this, it's the expo- exposure to the pesticides. It's the monosource of foods, the lack of diversity in their diet. They're eating the same thing for three weeks in a row and then going and switching to another 
item and binging on that for three weeks. That's unnatural. And this chronic exposure makes them weak and susceptible to, to various pathogens or parasites, really parasites, that can harm the bees. And what's interesting about it is, well, that, that explains why they're dying, but where are they going? And there's another study that was put together by Clint Perry, Eric Sovak, Mary Meyerkoff, and Andrew Barron. It's titled, Rapid Behavioral Maturation Accelerates Failure of Stressed Honey Bee Colonies. I'll also link to that in the show notes. They actually radio track bees. So I don't know if they put collars on them, but somehow they were able to track these honeybees. And what they found was it was, and I love this term, they were precocious foragers. They foraged precociously, which is another way of saying they left the hive too early. What they found was the way that these bees reacted to these multiple stressors, and many of these stressors compounded, so they interacted. The various pesticides might interact with each other, with the pathogens, and these stressors cause bees to leave the hive at a younger age than they typically would to go forage. And then these young foragers tended to have very high death rates. They'd crash and they wouldn't return. And so a very high percentage when they left did not have successful first flights, as the article mentioned, and and wouldn't return. And so a lot of the foragers wouldn't return. And so the high would have to send out even younger foragers to the point where they didn't return. They sent out more and you had what's called a positive feedback loop as more and more foragers went out, didn't return until all that was left was the queen, her remaining brood, and perhaps a few adults. That is a positive feedback loop. And what that what a positive feedback loop is, it's a self-reinforcing pattern that leads a system further and further from its equilibrium until it potentially collapses. That's what's happening with the beehives. It continues. The bees, these managed bees trucked around are being stressed out by the various pesticides, parasites, pathogens, lack of food diversity. It's causing some panic. They're leaving the hive early. They're foraging too early and they're not making back and and you have colony collapse. We have positive feedback loops in our economy. And in the financial system, that's what caused asset bubbles. Think about the housing bubble, what causes that, or other asset bubbles. Investors, in 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 an equilibrium market, a normal market, investors are making independent judgment, independent assessments of what they think a particular security is worth. You have buyers and sellers, they're, they're meeting of the minds, they come up with a price, and that's a normal market. At times, though, investors abandon their own independent judgment and do what they they say. Sometimes they say they they follow this smart money. They're trying to mimic what other investors are doing because they believe those other investors have a better sense of where markets are heading. And so that, as you have that mimicking behavior, that tends to push up asset prices. That attracts new entrants into the market who don't want to miss out on this rapid price appreciation. So you have this positive feedback loop of this mimicking behavior. At the same time, 
you have industry players and other institutions that see this market opportunity. To some extent, they take advantage of the, the naivety, naivety, naivety. Going to leave it at that. <laughs> naivety, the naive market entrance. Interesting how you can read something to your mind and then when you produce it out loud, it comes out completely botched. But these new market entrants, they see that. And they, they were, you had house flippers, you had speculators, you had this, this financial infrastructure that was processing and selling mortgage loans, often with unverified income, minimal documentation, dubious appraisals, and that all pushed up prices until at some point there's something something switches there's a flip there's a tipping point and people want to get out and and that supply demand imbalance where you have huge demand perhaps a limited supply reverses and you don't have as much demand you have that huge supply and prices plummet we saw that but that was a positive feedback loop and positive feedback loop that sounds like well that's a good thing well often they're not because it can cause a system to spin completely out of control. In the case of bees, 50 years ago, we didn't cart bees around the way we do now. That is a something that has really taken effect in the last half century. And it's one reason you can get fruits and vegetables throughout the country, throughout the world, when we were in Sweden – in Norway, there were cherries there from Washington State. There were fruit from Chile. I thought it was just the U.S. that got fruit from Chile. Apparently, that's sent over to Europe also. And so we're used to having this fruit and berries and vegetables all year round that's been facilitated by these worker bees. But now you're seeing the impact of these stressors. And so they're really not sure exactly. They're just figuring out what to do and and. They haven't solved the problem yet. One thing they could do was if we focused more in terms of our food on local sources and not be – so one of, one of the issues with complexity and these positive feedback loops is when you have errors that cascade throughout the system, right? So you have all these bees coming together. They're, they're, they're all – Focused. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of bees are around the almond fields being, the almond orchards being exposed to the the pathogens and being together and, and intermingling. Perhaps that is creating it. But and so you you have this. It's not local in the sense that errors and pathogens can spread very very quickly from hive. To hive, whereas if an error is made at the local level, so it, there's not a contagion effect, is what I'm trying to say, there can be some benefit of that. And so trying to get your food from local sources is, is critical if you can, as opposed to always going to California where they're suffering a, a major drought. So you want diversity. You want diversity of your crops. You want diversity of your food supply. You want diversity in your diet. When you look at these bees eating the same thing for weeks, that's just not healthy because there's a lot we don't understand about nutrition from what I've seen. And so eating a variety of foods, 
in the case of asset markets, having your own opinion and not following the crowd when we don't have diversity of opinion and independent judgment, that can also lead to problems. And certainly reducing stressors. Stressors can be okay. Some stress is fine when it's intermittent. It's chronic stress that can lead to to problems. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Now, I want to switch topics a little bit. So we're talking about positive feedback loops. In the case of oftentimes it, it is crowd following. There can be a contagion effect. Sometimes it's called an information cascade. Sometimes it's caused by intervention. We have this huge intervention in terms of these bees. We've not done this before. In fact, the honeybee isn't even native to the U.S. That was brought here to bring in honey. And then they found that, hey, these are great for pollinating crops. Let's systematize it. Let's make a big industrial food complex out of it. I read a post on LinkedIn the other day by Diego Espinosa. And he's the founder of Sistema Research. I don't know him personally, but it's a complex system-based consulting firm. And his post or his essay was called Information Ants 
and inequality. And it caught my attention because I, I was thinking about bees and I saw that. And, and he made some interesting points about ants that also apply to bees. Bees and ants use compressed information to make decisions. So when an ant leaves its ant hill and forages, it just doesn't forage randomly. It's looking for pheromones from another ant that has left sort of a little message that says the food is over here. So it's compressed information. Bees do the same thing. They're pheromones, but bees can also do these dance. They have a waggle dance. They have different dances that they do to communicate to the other bees where there are food source, where there's other hives, where there's a water source. And so it's compressed information. So each bee isn't required to just forage randomly, but they're able to follow the trail. The economy also focuses on compressed information. It's called prices. Businesses use pricing and they use their sense of what demand is, which does influence price to decide how much output to create. And we've talked about output is really what a measure of an economy is. And so businesses all acting independently are using this price data to make decisions. As consumers and businesses, we also have self-interest. We want to maximize our well-being. We're also emotional. We want to maximize our well-being, but we also want things to be fair. If we see that something isn't fair, it, it, it does great on us. It's very, very upsetting. And so we need an equilibrium because we can't have all this self-interest where it leads to unfairness. And so fairness tends to be part of the system, the economic system. Self-interest is a part of the system, and then we're able to get these equilibriums and this compressed information with prices, and everyone's acting independently. This, this is, we've talked about in earlier episodes, is a complex adaptive system. Sometimes in the case of bees and anthills, it's called a superorganism. So it almost as if the economy has a life of its own, and nobody knows exactly where it's gone because it's going because everyone acts independently. It cannot be predicted. It is ex- extremely innovative in terms of radically unpredictable and innovative in, t- in terms of how the economy evolves. But there's an aspect to the economy that has become quite prevalent over the past 50 years. And it's then, sometimes it's called the network effect or preferential attachment. The way that networks work is you have all these different nodes and, and in an economy, of, you know, I interact with certain people in, in my local community. I interact with people internationally so, and, and people interact with me and they're connected to me. But what you find with an economy and a network, certain nodes tend to get more connections, more LinkedIn. There are certain people on on Twitter, Kim Kardashian has way more followers than I do on Twitter, and people see the other people following her, and so you, you get the crowd behavior in terms of networks. They follow what's called a power law, where few and fewer people have more and more. And that spreads through the economy in terms of income, where you have certain people, it's not winner take all, but they certainly take a lot. And that creates certain aspects where people can get an unfair advantage. And it's something that just, it isn't that somebody is orchestrating from the top. Often it just bubbles up 
from the bottom as we act as consumers and businesses and we look at these price signals or we look at – we do follow the crowd because we can't make – we can't make every decision and research every decision we make independently. Sometimes we look for cues from others. So we might look at price. We might look at what others are doing. But we follow what others are doing to some extent. We can't avoid it. And that leads to this preferential attachment, which can lead to some inequalities. The top movies gross way more than the bottom movies. Multiples of times the, and there's mathematical relationships that follow that. So we do mimicking, but it can lead to inequality uh, of income, which is the one I want to talk about today. And Espinosa, Diego Espinosa, talked about breaks in the system to prevent that. One is, is competition. If there's more competition, ideally, there'll be less inequality. But if there's less competition, what you, you see is businesses in their own self-interest might make decisions that actually harm everybody as a whole. One, perhaps, not paying high enough wages to the workers because their competitors aren't doing it and they're following the crowd. Another thing might be boards of corporations paying the CEO multiples and multiples of what the average worker works or makes because for the same reason. It's, it's the mimicking of board members. And so if this competition breaks down, these higher corporate profits, oftentimes corporations can pay lobbyists. And the other break that Espinosa talks about is the political system. Democracy should be putting breaks on these inequalities that, that occur, these positive feedback loops that can harm, eventually harm the economy as a whole. And, and if but if the, if the politicians get compromised because of lobbyists or the way the system has evolved, that doesn't put that break. And ultimately what can break things is – and break things literally is so a positive feedback loop in the economy that is creating these huge inequalities and the lack of fairness that many feel. You can have a couple of things. One, you can have a revolution – and I'm not by any means predicting this. I'm just following things as we look at what's happening and you look at these positive feedback loops. You could have a segment of the population revolt. Perhaps we're seeing that or saw that in Baltimore where a segment of the population just felt so hopeless and, it, and, and their life was just so unfair. And I, I'm not passing judgment because I, don't, I really don't know. But you can see that. If you get these inequalities, even if they bubble up naturally because of this preferential attachment, but if you don't, through the political system, have some correction for that, and the political system is getting compromised, you can have revolutionary forces, or you can have financial collapse. If the system gets distorted, and and the system clearly got distorted with the housing bubble, and you had segments, you had huge inequalities – of of outcomes with certain segments profiting very, very well and others, particularly those that were naive and, and bought houses because everyone else was that, that got hurt. And then you have the banks themselves. We didn't see a complete financial collapse. The bondholders of the banks were saved and because to some extent the, the lobbying efforts of 
the bondholders, and of the major financial institutions. So what's the point of all this? Positive feedback loops happen, and they can push a system out of its equilibrium, potentially to where it collapses. Positive feedback loops can, can occur naturally bottom-up based on decisions of individuals and businesses as they use preferential attachment and just, to some extent, follow the crowd. It can be orchestrated by the top-down as those that have done well seek to protect their position either through the political system or the financial system. What can we do about it? Now, I certainly am not going to be able to solve income equality in this podcast because I don't have an answer. As with many of these complex, very, very complex problems, there are many shades of grades. There isn't We'll just do this and it'll solve the problem. Just like the bees. The bee problem is not easily solved. But when we take it down to our level, what what can we do? Well, certainly be informed consumers. If we believe a company is taking advantage of the system or is cutting corners or doesn't have fair pay policy, in our opinion, whatever that might be, then make a different decision in terms of where you buy. We are always sending signals when we buy things. I read an article in Fortune magazine the other day. That is, The food system is changing dramatically as the big food conglomerates are losing sales because consumers want to be able to understand what ingredients is in their food. And, and Hershey's is making a the decision. They're going to stop using corn syrup and use more natural ingredients in their in their candies and and other food suppliers are doing that so the decisions we make the signals we send which lead to price the signals demand signals can change the system for the better so we need to make be informed consumers and find out where our stuff is made how it's made and send those signals the other thing we can do particularly financially is don't be crowd followers. Don't do something because everyone else is doing it. Do it. Do your own research, figure it out, and then make the decision. And that, that will hopefully avoid, at least will allow you to avoid some of the, the consequences when a positive feedback loop actually crashes. So that is episode 62. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. I actually just redesigned the site. So brand new site design. Hopefully there's some additional things I can add to it because I, I completely switched the platform. In fact, the theme and the design of the site I'm going to carry over when I redo the Money for the Rest of Us hub. So go to moneyfortherestofus.net. You can see the site. That's also you can sign up for my insider's guide. And I'll just I'll email those show notes to you weekly. I'm also emailing a summary article of each week's episode as well as other valuable content. You can sign up for that there. It's almost at the end of June. Just a reminder, I'll be closing the Money for the Rest of Us Hub to new members at the end of this month. Existing members will continue to enjoy the benefits of that, but I want to restructure the Hub so that we have a much better comprehensive onboarding process for new members as they focus on better managing their investments, adjusting their portfolios based on market conditions. And so you can go ahead and sign up for that or explore it at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode is for general education only. I have not 
provided any type of investment advice. I'm simply providing general education on money, investing, and the economy. Thanks to all those that have left reviews. If you have any questions, you can email me, jd at jdavidstein.com. Have a great week.